Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh, and this is episode number 109. This week on the show, I've got an awesome conversation with Steve Kabuchi of Wolves at the Gate. Um, had an awesome time talking with him. Huge shout out to him and his team for setting this up. Um, and yeah, we really wanted to dive into a, a conversation where we were able to talk about a wide variety of things, including their new album, Eulogies, which is dropping this coming Friday, March the 11th, via Solid State Records. Um, but Stephen and I had an awesome conversation about all kinds of shit. Uh, kind of, you know, a quick touching on the beginnings of the band, um, all the way through kind of the writing and the connection that not only fans, but the connections that he makes with the music and how that connects him to people that listen to his music and stuff like that. Um, you know, we talked about kind of that emotional connection through authentic music and i've talked about that before with a number of different artists um but steve you know totally agrees and has a a unique perspective on it as well so um awesome to hear him talk about that uh we touch on a little bit of the story of the new album um as you guys know i Try not to ask, you know, specifically what one song or another means because I don't want to take away that connection for anybody. Um, you know, if you resonate with a song and to you it means something about a breakup and to somebody else it's about the loss of a loved one, uh, like via death or something, and then, you know, maybe the band just had a bad fucking day and you know, ran out of peanut butter for a PB&J sandwich or something. Um, you, you just don't want to, to take that away from anyone. So we don't get that deep into some of it, but I think there's enough there that's going to help uh, really put into perspective what this album means um, and hopefully connects you guys in a way that allows you to uh, sit and, and listen to this album with a open perspective. Um, Steve and I also talked about that we both are firm believers <laughs> that at least the very first time that you listen to an album, ideally the first couple, maybe three times, uh, listen to it in order. Uh, the songs are arranged in a specific way on purpose, um, and it just... It's going to tell the story and the flow and that connection just that much better. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and just dive in. Um, you know, I've given you a kind of a, a really good synopsis here, but let's dive into my conversation with Steve Kabuchi of Wolves at the Gate. Five albums deep. So if people don't know who you are by now that are listening to this, what the fuck <laughs> are you doing? But in case there's some new listeners, who are you? Yeah. What do you do in the band? And just a little background on yourself, man. Totally. Uh, yeah, so I'm Steve Kabuchi. Um, I sing and play guitar in the band. 
Uh, the band started in Ohio, but I live in New Jersey, and that tends to confuse people. But it's where I'm from. I'm not ashamed of it. A lot of people think I should be ashamed to be from Jersey, but uh, you know, don't knock it if you ever tried it. You know, you haven't tried it, so that's all I'd yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean, Jersey's one thing. Obviously, you have the stereotypes, and like you know, we don't have to get into all those. But <laughs> the New York trash can gets brought up a lot, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but honestly, maybe it's the Indiana in me. Ohio is kind of that view for the Midwest people too. Like it's fucking Ohio, man. So I, I was screwed either way. Right. right. Jersey, or Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about kind of the band in general to start with. Um, obviously we've got the new album eulogies coming up soon. Uh, this podcast will actually go live the week of release, so um, people will be able to jump straight over and check that out. But let's talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of you guys, because you guys have been around for a little while now. The sound has definitely evolved. Obviously, most of it is organic and, and conscious, but what do you think's kind of played a factor in the evolution of your sound? Um, so... Playing live music, definitely. Um, you know, when you, you know, uh, the first record we did, you know, we'd never, um, we'd never toured, you know, uh, nine months out of the year after we made music, you know. Yeah. Um, and so you learn a lot from touring. You learn about like what translates live. You kind of find out what are people really liking that we're doing. And honestly, it ends up being the things that we are really liking too live the things that feel good you know the things that um are actually communicating the emotion we were going for when we wrote it so yeah live music um also in the realm of touring being around other bands um watching other bands um picking up little tricks from guys you know like abishai our drummer he's such a student of drummers and drums and so he's always talking with the other drummers always like you know talking shop with them and you know um which is, it's cool, like kind of sharing chops. And, you know, I always love seeing what the guy's gear, you know, setup is. And especially guys, like, I feel like most guitarists we tour with are just like way better than I am. So it's a great opportunity to learn. So, yeah, we definitely learn a lot through our peers. But then also, you know, it's just um, learning how to like study music better and better, like trying to figure out, like, why did I, you know, when I was younger, I would think I love the song because of this riff, you know, and like, yeah, the riff's cool, but what is the riff doing that I like right. about it? You know, kind of learning about those sorts of things and then trying to think about how can I recreate that with my own like flavor? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing. Cause you know, like, like I said, at the start of this, I've been doing music journalism for like 17 years now. Um, I'm 36 now. So like, when I was growing up, kind of the same thing, like absolutely loved um, different artists or, you know, spots and different songs. And then like, as I transitioned into music journalism and, and more of that background and really diving into stuff and being in bands in college and stuff too, like you start to unlock, like, it's not just that uh, that sounds cool. Like there's a science to why this affects me in this way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's a guy named Rick Beato um, who's got like a channel on YouTube and he's like a phenomenal producer and, you know, just musician in general. And I think if people are curious as to like what we're talking about, go watch his channel because I just found his channel, you know, probably like four months ago, five months ago. And I just love listening to what like he has like a series. I forget. It's like, why is this song great or what makes this song great? And he kind of picks it apart and he's not just saying like, this sounds cool. Like he's talking about what the music's doing. And that's such a cool thing because yeah, music, it's just crazy how, you know, there's, you know, 12, essentially 12 notes, obviously one of them's unison, but all the stuff that can come out of that and all the different sounds and feelings and emotions you can create, it's just wild, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't use TikTok much other than to just fuck around and scroll, but I saw this video of she's like a, I think a middle school or maybe like late elementary school music teacher. And she's teaching the kids about how like every song that you've ever heard uses a metronome of sorts and like how the, she lets kids throw out songs and she's got this, this bongo that she uses and she'll go through like, okay, this song is in four, four and whatever. Um, and it starts opening these kids' eyes that, like, one of the kids threw out Eminem, and she, he, he's like, there's no way, you know, it's rap, there's no way, and she's like, but he, but he does. Yeah. And she breaks it down, and they're like, oh my god, there, there's <laughs> science behind this, there's math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, that's so cool. Yeah, and, you know, I think, to your point, as you grow as a musician, you unlock more and more of that knowledge. So it's like, okay, now I know how to manipulate these things and, mm -hmm. you know, drop tuning or, you know, I we can switch up the tempo in the middle of a song during a breakdown. Right. Like all these things e elicit these emotions and that helps draw people into it. Yeah. Yeah, there's like, there's things that you do when you're young and youthful and ignorant to music that um, you kind of, just create stuff by instinct, you know? Um, but obviously there's a lot of other th things you create by instinct that aren't as great. And it's learning how to understand what that is and why that was cool. And that way you can know how to like figure out how to deliver it in a different way or in a cool way. So that's what's cool about music is there is a sense in which knowing nothing, you can still create something so awesome, but then learning from some of those, you know, those pieces without obviously completely just copying it can, yeah, Th that's how I've learned a ton about music. Yeah. Those happy accidents. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the big keys for anyone like learning an instrument is, you know, or, you know, we're going to, go up an octave, down an octave, whatever, and then you start unlocking more and more potential with, well, maybe I can write my own stuff instead of just having to borrow from everyone else. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so um, let's get into to eulogies a little bit. So fifth album, um, the, the first question I'm going to ask is simply looking back at kind of when you guys started, did you know then that you'd have the longevity that you've you've had so far and that you start getting this you're working on? Um, I 
I've never been one to look that far ahead into the future. Because um, as the older I get, the more I realize that, uh, yeah, it does me no good. Uh, <laughs> because, yeah, I don't, I don't have any control over it. So, um, yeah, I mean, we. I, I really just try to look at what's in front of me and enjoy and appreciate that. Because um, just as much as we never thought we'd get that first opportunity to get signed and to and to make records, you know, um, yeah, every subsequent opportunity to do whatever we're doing is, you know, a gift. And so I really try to look at each record as my last, if that makes sense. Not, not like in a sad sort of way, but as like, I want to try as hard. If I knew this was going to be my last record, I want to try as hard as if it were my last. Um, yeah. Cause you never know, you never know what'll happen you know there could be some crazy life events that just prohibit me from doing that or a myriad of things so yeah definitely did not think that far ahead but are yeah i'm so stoked to to be where we're at right now and still making music because yeah i just feel just as excited as i did you know when we first started the band so yeah yeah and i actually have philosophy that you know like to your point with the next album may be my last album, you know, it pushes, it forces you to push the envelope some and, and make sure that it's, it's about our legacy, right? Like that's all anybody really wants is to be remembered and God forbid something happens. Like, can this current album be my legacy? You know, would I be content with it? Um, and I think that's a, a great way for people to really start living their lives. Cause if you know, like, Oh, we've got, 12 albums that we're definitely going to be able to do like, cool. I don't have to do shit until album number 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. It, it, it makes, it makes the whole experience more fun. Don't take it for granted, you know, and ensure that like, yeah, I mean, I'm part of it is my personality too. Like I can't, um, I don't have like throwaway songs on a record. I just wouldn't have, if I didn't think they were good, they wouldn't be on the record. If I didn't feel strongly about them, they wouldn't be on the record. Uh, and so um, that's just kind of like a personality thing. So I don't think that'll go in for better or for worse. It's a personality thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, it's a uh, little bit of a perfectionist, right? But yeah. Like at the same time, to your point, like, if it's just okay, and maybe I don't have a super strong connection with it, do I want to play that live every night for the next nine months? Yeah. No. So why am I putting it out there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what honestly kills the joy of like playing and making music for me is if I don't feel that way about it, like if I don't want to do it, man, <laughs> come on. Right. That's, that's awful. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously as you you grow you age things like that there's going to be songs that whether they're your own songs or whatever like connections change right like experiences mm -hmm. change you may not love that song the same way but at the same time what i don't think a lot of people understand when it comes to being an artist like yourself like maybe you don't have the same connection that you had with you know track seven off of album three but everybody else still loves it and you're like well fuck i have to play that one again just because it means so much yeah. and it's it's that double-edged sword right like 
it kind of is a bummer for you because it's not as important of a song to you anymore. But at the same time, the reward of seeing everyone else love it. Yeah. Like, okay. Does it balance out? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually, I've been at shows before where bands refuse to play certain songs and, you know, you're really kind of missing the point of, you know, uh, for sure when bands play shows, we're not, we're not jukeboxes. Right. Right. But the reality is, is that if you know that there is something that everybody just wants you to play, you know, you got to play it. But the hard thing for us is, you know, we, we have, we have never been like a, a, you know, a big headlining act. And so a lot of times our fans are like, why don't you play this song or that song? It's like, we had 30 minutes or we had 40 minutes. And honestly, even the, the shows we do headline, you know, when you've got four albums, how do you pick what songs to play and make everybody happy? It's like somebody's always going to be upset. And so there's a degree to which the fans should understand that, like, you know, we aren't a jukebox and we want to we chose the sex. We thought you would like it the most because we're also the ones that like wrote the songs thinking that you would like it the most. So right. it, there's there's a method to the madness, you know? Yeah. And especially when the live show comes into it, right? Like figuring out a set list that has the right energy start to finish like especially when you headline and maybe there's 10 or 12 songs now like what mm-hmm. we all need that one or two slow songs in the middle somewhere so that we can slow down and reset mm-hmm. and pick back up and i think a lot of fans maybe not like maybe i should say a lot of casual listeners that are just like man i love these songs from a band like that's all they want to hear is the shit you know and it's like yep but that's not how this works. (laughs) So like, let's slow down, let's reset. Everybody needs to catch their breath. And then, you know, also storytelling to some extent, especially with you guys, like Mm -hmm. a lot of your music has a very cinematic feel to it and these large soundscapes. So it has to fit together. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. And when I, when I go to concerts, you know, there are bands that like, yeah, you just kind of want, like pedal to the metal the whole time and you know and that's because there are there are those types of bands that that is what they do that is their identity that's what they're known for you know we're a band that um i don't i don't think we're known for that nor do i think we're known for like you know being a a spacey you know ethereal band but like we have songs that kind of can touch the edges of those things and so for us you know we want to give people kind of like you said this like almost cinematic experience where like it's not a transform we're not a transformers movie where it's just like cgi blowing your mind the whole time you know um but we're also not like some you know uh indie indie film you know where it's like it's just super dry and and chill or you can't understand it so we want to take themes and elements from those things and kind of create really what would feel like sort of climbing a mountain to a climax, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's dive into to eulogies a little bit. Obviously, with the last two years with COVID, having everything shut down, like how much of the album was written during that time and like kind of just what you experienced in those moments? So um, our previous record came out in 2019 um, and usually around the time that, you know, a record's coming out, I begin the process of writing for the next album. Um, just because there's always this strange like gap 
from when I record the record and then all the, you know, promotional stuff we have to do for the record, it kind of kills yeah. the creativity a bit. Uh, also, I need like a little bit of a break because I want to just stop and reset and reassess what what do I what did I do that I liked about the last record and what did I not like and what what do I want to just do differently? Um, so it started, yeah, summer of 2019. And we, we, you know, we did, did some touring. Um, and obviously the lockdown hit like kind of spring of 2020 and we were set to do another tour. Um, yeah, right, right around when lockdown happened. And so that was just kind of a sign to me to like dig in even more to songwriting, which was really cool because there was no interruptions, you know? Um, and uh, I definitely got to explore some more things that I generally want to when working on a record. Um, but I think I was also more focused, not because of the lockdown, but just kind of you learn over the years. Um, and so um, it didn't really change the way that we wrote. We always have kind of like file shared through Dropbox and stuff like that. Um, but uh the one thing it did change is normally, you know, we'd see each other through touring and, you know, we'd listen to, if I had like eight demos done, we'd listen to the band while we're in between shows and talk about the songs and what do we like, what we don't like and work out stuff like that. But we didn't have that, um, which was a bummer. Yeah. And do you find, I mean, obviously on the one hand, it's easier to write when you're at home, mm -hmm. but at the same time, being used to writing on the road and things like that, what was that experience change like for you? Because now you don't necessarily have you know, being on the road. There's so much environment change as well while you're writing that that influences whether it's subconscious or not. Um, but to be quote unquote locked in your house and being like, okay, well, it's still time to write. Yeah, I think um, so. There was a good portion of Eclipse that got kind of worked out on the road. Um, like tracking a lot of vocals, like after our set, you know, uh, like going and, you know, hooking up the, uh, the, the portable rig and, and tracking demos. And that was fun because that was like a new energy for us. We'd never done that before. Um, so there's like, I, I, I would literally, we'd play our set and, you know, 40, 45 minute set, get off stage, you know, to, you know put all our gear away except for my guitar and we'd go back and and i just grabbed the mic because that the adrenaline's there you know right. you know voice is all warmed up and uh yeah and just start working on stuff and so that was a lot of fun but um what i liked about this experience though was um this was the first time so like i i built like a, a studio in my basement um and this was the first time that I had like a space to like tr truly call my own. Right. I've always done, you know, I've always recorded bands and produced a lot of stuff at my house, but never had like a comfortable, I would say, setup, right. one that was treated properly, or at least one that like, cause I like, I put time into designing it and the materials and stuff like that. And so finally had like a vibe, <laughs> yeah. you know? So dim the lights or turn them off and mood lighting and things like that, like just to kind of help me get into a creative mindset, which was, which was cool. I think I was able to feed off that a little bit. Yeah. I think, you know, it's easy for people that 
don't have the creative outlet, whether it's music or whatever, art in general, to just assume that, oh, well, you can kind of do it anywhere, right? Like, you're a musician, so all you need to do is be able to sing, so you can do that wherever. And it's like, well, yeah, I can, <laughs> but there's also some other stuff that goes into it. Like you said, getting the, the mood lighting and stuff like that. Like, if it's a sad song, like, maybe I want to be in the dark and really get into my emotions on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely makes a difference, you know, and I'm sure for you from talking to a lot of musicians and especially vocalists, you know, like even tracking vocals, uh, it can be really psychological, you know, um, and I hate that it's that way, but um, honestly, so my best takes are almost always the demos because I literally just, I'm like holding this mic in my hand, sitting in the chair, you know, working out parts. And then when I figure out the, the melody, you know, get out of the chair, you know, <laughs> hit the lights and I'm just going for it because the energy's there and I'm not thinking about how what it sounds like. I'm just going for it. And that's usually in my mind when I get how I want my voice to sound or how I want to, you know, deliver this part and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, as for tracking vocals in the past, you know, sometimes like people are just like sitting and watching and it's just, like, yeah. I had to get over that real quick. Um, cause the first, the first time I ever sang in front of people was when we recorded our first, like, like four songs as a band. And we recorded with this guy that I barely knew. Um, and it was in the basement of a funeral home. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and like guys are like smoking weed and hookah and I didn't know who they were. And the guys in my band were just sitting there like excited because the whole time I had said like, I'm not, we need to find a singer and they convinced me to do it. And they were excited to hear what my voice sounded like. And I was like, this is terrifying. And they're all just staring and watching me, you know? So that I would say is probably like the worst environment um so and <laughs> it's probably for good re you know if you listen to those demos you can just hear yeah probably yeah. that <laughs> a it, funeral home <laughs> yeah it, it makes you kind of wish like they're not as popular anymore but like the old studio diaries that every band used to do you know the little mm -hmm. youtube videos or like every time i die I always put it on their cds and whatnot like you yeah. almost wish you had that to be like man you guys see how fucked up this situation was, right? Like, <laughs> I wish we videotaped that. You know, we were just so young, and I mean, we didn't even have a band name at that point. So, yeah, I know some of those moments I wish were captured just to, you know, go back and feel how awkward it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then it would live on the internet forever, and it's like, well, maybe it's a good thing that's not there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk, you know, on the, the album here, um, like I said, this is going to go live just a couple days before it, it drops. I've actually gotten to listen to it a few times through and I got to say, like, for me, I've, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like I'm being an asshole. I've always been hit or miss on you guys. Cause I've just never like sat down and focused on listening to everything sure like, of course i'll yeah. hear a song here and there and i'm like oh that's really sick like i should go check them out and then i just never do it so like when when the team sent me this 
I was like, I'm going to sit down and, and focus on this because <laughs> I want to see it, you know? And like, then I went back through the catalog and I know this is obviously the goal and this isn't me blowing smoke. This is, I think, your best work as a band to date. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I mean, we feel pretty strongly about that too. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that that's the impression you got. Yeah, I, I think that's probably going to be, you know, it's hard to say because you do have some songs that have popped off on Spotify and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got some benchmarks to look at, but I yeah. think most people are going to at least respect the effort that went into this because, again, I, I think, you know, to play through this album front to back and and hear the story of the album in that fashion, like it's, there's not a track that's needed to be skipped or that you feel like you're disconnecting from. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. And I, I love that. Uh, I love that focus on like album that you're talking about. Cause that, you know, people are saying that that's dying. I just think it depends on the album, you know? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. People focus on singles, but the artists that are responding to audiences saying, Oh, fans just focus on singles, make bad albums, yeah. you know? Um, and I still consume records via albums, you know, like it's crazy. It, one, it means a lot that you, you're, you said that about our record because I have that feeling about so many albums. Like I was just telling my wife the other day, uh, like I can't listen to um, a black mile to the surface by Manchester orchestra. I can't listen to a song. I never go like, Oh, I just want to listen to this song. I play it start to finish. That's, that's how I consume anything that's on that record. Same thing with their next record. And I was almost afraid to listen to the next record because I had that feeling. Right. And then the Million Masks of God was like, I was like, whoa, this is even better. And I don't want to just like go find a song. I want to hear the whole thing. And there's so many records that have done that for me. Uh, obviously, those are two more recent ones. But um, yeah, I just think that it's like a powerful thing. And sure, maybe, you know, those bands fly below the radar, but you know, I, I don't think, you know, the guys in that band and many other bands are making albums so that they can have like this crazy commercial success. You know, right. they're really thinking about, you know, putting something creative and artistic into the world for people to enjoy and to enjoy like, you know, a full album, you know, we don't just, we're not just, I, I hate, you hated, I'm sure you hated it. I hated it getting records when I was younger, where it was like, yeah, the single, that was it. Yeah. And I bought the record for the single and the rest of this is garbage, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I'm 36. So I grew up in the age before streaming, you know, like yep. I've seen the inception of it and, and all that. So exactly. I remember going to Sam Goody, FYE, Yep. Disc jockey, whatever, and grabbing a, you're from the Midwest, Karma Records back in the day. <laughs> uh, you know, you grab a record and you're like, fuck yes, this is going to be so awesome. Like I heard mm -hmm. the one song on the radio and then you get home and you're like, wow, I threw $12 down the fucking toilet. Yeah, it's 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 the worst feeling. You know, I'm, I'm 36 as well. So we, we had the same experience, you know, with music, but you know, I, I don't think it's a generational thing. I really don't because good albums will just be good albums. And that's what we're trying to make is, you know, the record label gives us money to make a whole album. So 
let's right. let's do that. <laughs> yeah, and it, it may be a bold statement, but I'll I'll say it. I think the bands or the artists in general that say albums are dead, like you said, are are probably bad at making albums. But like, it's it's two sides of the same coin, I think, because now we're in this age where everything is so accessible through streaming, TikTok, whatever, that you can grab just one song. And that's probably all the attention span a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the flip side of that coin is if you write 11 solid tracks, people are going to pay attention. And yep. it's just a matter of getting it in front of them. Yeah. And you know what? Like, sometimes the singles aren't the songs that, like, get people into the band, too, you know? Um, there's so many, there's so many bands that, uh, I got into that wasn't through the single, you know, even a B side, there's so many bands I got into through B sides, you know? And I was like, I, I, if this is a B side, like what were the, the A sides, you know? Um, yeah. So I think people still, there's still plenty of people that want more and there's people that like singles. And so obviously we weren't, we want to write songs that, um, are going to, you know, we want songs that pull people in, right? right? But I also love writing songs that make people kind of sit down and 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 think and and really listen. So, yeah, yeah, and I again, I think you nailed it on this album. Um, I I really believe it's something where I I'm a firm believer. Maybe it's the music journalism part of me, but I'm a firm believer that at least the first two times you listen to an album, it should be start to finish whole album no interruptions and i normally tell people that because the first time you listen to it you're just checking out what stands out to you like okay this this hooked me whatever but then that second time you can really like dive into those songs and be like mm -hmm. oh shit like there's there's some depth here like i didn't notice that before and then you find out where like you know what singles if you're going to be that person that's like okay this is making my playlist um, yeah, that first, first listen. Yeah, that first listen is kind of like if you're gonna ride your bike for a mile and try and remember everything you saw. You know, right. you're gonna see you're gonna see certain things, but then you jog this, the second time. You know, yeah. you're gonna catch a whole lot more. That's what that second listen is, is because you can take in more because it's not so much the you just don't know where you're going. You know, that's really and I'm I'm very much the same way. I do the same thing with music. It's not. I don't think it's a journalism thing. I think it's a, somebody who appreciates music. Um, and also you want to give it a fair shake because man, there's so much stuff out there. I'm sure there's so many bands you've listened to even on first listen, you didn't like, and yeah. they grew on you and they became your favorite bands. You know, I've had that happen many times. And so, yeah, we do live in an impatient age, but there are still lots of people who, you know, that's what the masses are. I would say by and large, but the masses have always consumed pop music, you know, top 40 and we're not that so um the hope is yeah people that are already in this lane kind of get what we're doing anyway yeah yeah i think or I, maybe it's a hope for me because i've always listened to like my growing up listened to what my dad listened to so it was all classic rock by our standards yeah. so metallica yeah. all that sort of stuff oh, yeah. uh, but like when i started developing my own taste it was all like punk pop punk metal and i think hopefully anyway that we're starting to get to the point to to what you're saying 
you know, traditionally, especially terrestrial radio, like, if it's not pop music or country music, it's probably not getting played, or not much. Um, definitely not, you know, drive time radio by any means. But I think, you know, with bands like Bring Me the Horizon teaming up with Ed Sheeran most recently, like, maybe yeah. it's starting to open that door somewhere. People look at it and go, there's there's value over here. Like, yeah. Let's give that a shot. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. And you know what? It's, I think people, I think people have forgotten the, the only thing that I guess kind of makes rock music, rock music is just, I mean, listen, take any pop song. There's bands on YouTube that have covered it with yeah. guitars, drums, and bass. And that's what it, all rock music is at the end of the day. It's just a repackaging. It's people are liking songs, you know, and if people realize, oh, there's a different like packaging and it's still just as cool, you know, and I think that's, I think that's what is cool. I would say, yeah, hats off to, to Ed Sheeran for, you know, kind of reaching across the aisle um, and, uh, and hooking up with Bring Me the Horizon, but they're a perfect example because I think they've written songs that are catchier than a lot of things on top 40 uh, radio. Um, it's just the packaging that some people can't get over, but you know, who would have thought Metallica would be played on the radio station? You know, who would have thought right. green day would be played on the radio station? So Nirvana for Pete's yeah. sakes, you know, like, um, so it's cool. It's cool when, when, yeah, people can just recognize good music and good artistry be and and uh yeah for what it is so yeah i agree no, i i totally agree like especially like you said green day like anti-establishment back in the day like a lot of their songs were like basically fuck anyone in authority you know and mm -hmm. they, they weren't as heavy punk as you know rancid or some of them sure. but enough that people were like oh that'll never be popular and then look <laughs> at what fucking happened and it's like mm. They ended up yeah. being one of the biggest rock bands to exist ever. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, it's it's nuts, and you know, I think to your point with "Bring Me the Horizon," you know, they've changed up their sound. Basically, every album that they release, it's something different, and it's I think giving the opportunity for people to go, like you said, oh, this is, I I like this. It's just a different sound than I'm used to. You know, mm -hmm. and, and that's where covers and all that come in too. But like, you know, I think the fact that like Bring Me the Horizon on the the last album had, um, oh, um, Amy uh, from mm -hmm. Evanescence on there. Yeah. You know, like that brought people in going, oh, like there's validity here. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully again, that door's opening up because I think while we're in such a digital age, you know, obviously some heritage to go with terrestrial radio, right? Like mm -hmm. that's still, unfortunately, somehow the benchmark for is this band quote unquote popular or not? Mm -hmm. It's like, there's so much shit that doesn't get played on terrestrial radio that mm -hmm. is far superior, but it just isn't. There yeah. Yet. Yeah. And you know, I, I think there's a degree to which, you know, I think radio is starting to realize you know, where they are in the game, you know, yeah. because honestly, Spotify is the new radio station because everyone's trying to get on playlists, you know, playlists, you know, those, the whoever curates them, they're the DJs now, yeah. you know, and it's really just kind of shifted into that model. 
And uh, I think radio stations are realizing what a big audience there is for, you know, it's always been called alternative music, but like, you know, alternative music was, it, to them was like Three Days Grace, which is right. still rock music, you know, um, like the alternative to their alternative and that there's such a huge market for that. And I think that they are tapping into that, you know, and obviously it's great places like Octane who, you know, they're, they're trying to just, I think, broaden people's horizon as well. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, Sirius XM obviously is an easier transition for a lot of people, I think, because there are so many niche mm -hmm. stations that you can get into. Um, but, you know, to your point on Spotify, like Allie Hagendorf is over there. She's literally the head of rock and like her, I, she manages like five different playlists. I think that she specifically handles like she is the queen, if you will, when it comes to saying like, this is someone you need to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And what's cool is, you know, uh, good buddies of ours who we came up with playing music with in, you know, the Ohio you know, scene who we've known since, man, 2008 is a band called The Orphan, The Poet. And uh, they, you know, Allie found their band and she loved them. And they were relatively small, but they just made music that she liked. And so she threw them on the playlist and it helped out their band. Their band's doing great, you know. And so it is, it's cool that that format exists for, like you said, there's like great bands making great music that no one's hearing, you know, right. so that. I think it does, you know, I think with Spotify, there is less to lose per se than with the radio station. You can't skip, you know? And so if you play a song that people get bummed out on, you just wasted airtime per se. Right. But with Spotify, there's so much more, there's so much less quote unquote to lose. And so really only to gain for helping out smaller bands and also exposing people to just new music. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the digital age, with us being the same age, you know, the digital age was a hard transition at some points for people like us. Mm -hmm. But now that we're in it, it's like, I don't understand how we never, obviously the internet <laughs> wasn't as big back then, but like, how did this not come sooner? Yeah, so, I yeah. think, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, what it was... I mean, we saw the different iterations of it, you know, with, um, you know, Napster and LimeWire and MySpace and Pure Volume and, you know, just how things kind of like moved their way digitally to where they're at now. Because I remember when Spotify was like on the up and up for our third record. And I remember the label was telling us like, yeah, like we were going to we want to push Spotify. I'm like, why? Like, <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> I know now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I mean, at least they had that foresight because when Spotify was really starting to make its initial uh, strides, like Pandora was still a really big thing, you know? Yeah. And not that Pandora is terrible by any means. I just don't think it kept up with what Spotify's innovation was. No, no. Comparatively, it's, it's almost, uh, yeah, they almost left it in the dust. And now, I mean, you have got Title, Apple Music, Amazon, like the Deezer. The, for all that there's stuff. always a new one, like per album cycle. There's always a new one that I'm like, "What's this one called?" Okay, yeah. Um, but I, we don't have to get into the politics of it. But 
for what it's <laughs> worth, I do think Spotify is still king currently, even though they don't pay like they should, and there's still some yeah. issues there. Well, that's why they're king, yeah. <laughs> because they've got all the money. <laughs> yeah. it, and that's something, you know, I talk about it a lot because I don't feel like enough people... I think people brush it off because they're not on your side of the industry where they see sure. it. But like, you know, you guys have, let me pull it back up here. You guys have um, counterfeit at 5.4 million streams as we speak today. And like what people don't realize is that doesn't mean $5.4 million or anywhere fucking close to it. No, no, it's fractions, fractions of a penny per per stream but then that's obviously that's that's what goes to you know uh it then gets split between the label and the artist so just yeah. if you ever if you ever had a fraction of a penny and then you had to share that with somebody else um yeah you, you don't have much at that point yeah. no i i've used obviously the pie situation before right like you're down yeah. to the last slice of pie and there's seven of you that still have to get a piece. Like, it is the fucking worst. You're lucky to get a spoonful at this point. Yeah. Yeah, you're pretty much licking the pan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with this album, again, you know, 11, to me, of the strongest tracks that you guys have written, um, for you, what do you think is, or what do you hope is maybe the standout track that, maybe isn't the single or isn't planned to be a single, but like there's that connection to you that you think people are going to hook into. Um, I guess, yeah, if I was to pick a song that wasn't a single, I think that our fan base will probably connect really well with silent Anthem. We've always, uh, we've always been a band that we, you know, we pay a lot of attention to our closing track. You know, mm -hmm. we want, we love the idea of our records being bookended properly rather than kind of fading off, you know? And so we definitely put a song that we felt really strongly about, um, yeah, content wise and musically. And so I'm really excited for people to hear um, that song. Um, definitely, yeah. 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 I, th I think that's a super solid choice you know i am um, i think for me again having been in and out of kind of your space if you will um I, i'm the same like obviously there's a reason that the first track for artists that are paying attention to their album setup there's mm -hmm. a reason that the first track is the opening track there's a reason that the closer is the closer and i think that when it's from my perspective, when it's as intentional as you made it, that closer is like, I, I have closure on the album. Like I understand the story. I understand the emotion. I I'm content here. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, yeah. It's always a little daunting. And I, I think maybe that's probably the only thing that I ever, if I ever feel any pressure making a record, it's just that, I, I love having a great song to end the record that feels like a closer. Cause you know, you've listened to rec records where like the last song doesn't feel like the last song and then it's done, you know, and you're like, Oh, it feels abrupt. I want it to feel like we exhaled almost, you know, 
like that's the like oh okay wow like closing credits the lights are dimmed you know that sort of thing um so yeah i feel like that song definitely did that uh did that for eulogies yeah i i I would absolutely agree and i think um it's again it's the semi cinematic feel it's the credits starting to roll it's Mm -hmm. it's closing out these emotions that i felt um and i think too with the way that you guys write like it almost and maybe this is just me reading super deep into it because i connect super deep with most music but like you know when when you hear a song and it relates to a certain point in your life or whatever and then you always have that nostalgia it always brings you back a little bit i think mm-hmm. with what you guys have been able to do um like with silent anthem at the end here is like for me it was able to take that moment in time that i related it to and kind of give it its its period you know like okay mm-hmm. that can be done now i'm i'm okay with what's been on that part of my life hmm. that's cool yeah. yeah that's cool man um I, a song that I I don't ever like asking this anymore. I don't ask it the same way anymore, I should say. Growing up, when I was a young music journalist, uh, <laughs> I used to ask occasionally, you know, like, what's this song about or whatever. But then I realized, like, you don't always get the answer that you expect in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, the connection that I have with the song maybe isn't even the intent behind that song. So I, right. I try not to word it that way because I don't want to take away from anyone's experience to me dead weight is obviously no pun intended a heavy song um emotionally and whatnot what's it like for you not necessarily i guess partly specifically with that song but in general to take so much of your life and put it into these words for others to experience um it's really uh freeing to be honest i mean Dude, I mean, you know, you've got a brain just like I do. And you think like our minds are going all the time. And there are things that you probably repeatedly think. Um, and for me, there's things that I notice about myself that I see over and over again. You know, and it's kind of like um, it's kind of like walking around and seeing having a mirror put in front of you. And you're just like, oh, I, I don't like that, you know, right. Um and that whole experience remains hidden from everyone and there's a degree to which it's kind of hard to hold on to some of those things um and um obviously these are things that like my wife i talk with my wife about everything um you know and some of the and the guys in the band um but you know there is definitely there's definitely freedom I think in um, some, I think some, some artists like lay their hard truths out for everyone to see um, almost in a way that it's actually, it's not honest. Well, it's honest, but it's like kind of like braggy almost. Right. <laughs> it's like, look, right. look at how messed up I am. It's almost like self glorying in your brokenness. Um, and it's a, I think it's a hard thing to do, but um, I want to express, I guess, the brokenness that I feel in a way that is is honest and um, isn't saying anything 
about myself other than what I'm actually saying, what I'm actually acknowledging about myself, I guess. Um, honesty about my truth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think there's authenticity is probably the, the better word for it versus mm -hmm. honesty. Like mm -hmm. they're probably being honest about what they've been through or whatever. But like you said, it's, it's in a fashion that is less authentic because it's maybe attention seeking is a good way mm -hmm. to put that versus what you're saying. Like, I'm just putting my authentic self out there and like, here's what I've been through. I hope, hope nobody else has to go through it. Or if you do, you can connect and we can travel this together. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I think that's what real connection is with people and how you, I guess you can um, connect with music better. You know, I, I think the one of the ways that I was really educated on what that looks like in music was through a band called As Cities Burn. Um, their lyrics, I, I just, I, I remember reading the lyrics and listening to that album and thinking to myself, like, um, like thinking about the lyricist going, man, I, I love this person um, right. because of their, their honesty and their humility, um, but also the sincerity and thoughtfulness. And it's not like, let me think of a really thoughtful thing to say. They were just saying it. Like you could just right. tell there's like a, yeah, it's, you know, it's the difference between like you you've seen oh man <laughs> maybe this is a good example like uh like when an, an actor gets in trouble for doing something stupid mm -hmm. and they do a 60 minutes interview and all of their all of their contrition is preloaded and right. and re and rehearsed and you know there's a pr guy who's stopping things and you're like this is just so contrived you know um but when you see like raw footage of somebody really being broken or being honest about something we connect with that because we know what it really looks like and i i, I try hard you know and i, I would never self-proclaim to to do it right but that's what my intention is is to do that um and that's when you said dead weight yeah that's the first thing i thought of yeah yeah no and i <laughs> it's funny when you you mentioned the like the actors and and stuff like that that obviously put up the front I'm a big fan of The Office, and it makes me think of the episode. <laughs> Regret, <laughs> and it's like, that's it. Like that's all you could say. It's so true. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I great. love that show. This is about The Office too. While we were, that's ridiculous. Twice, um, but no, I, I think you know you're dead on. Like I've talked to, you know, bands of all sizes, especially over my 17 years. But like, I think what the important thing for any artist, whether, you know, you're huge or, you know, bring me the horizon level or the guy still playing VFW halls. Like if you're authentic and making real connections with your fans, those fans are going to be with you forever and they're going to support you yeah. and they're going to buy your, your merch and they're going to help you out. And I think, you know, you can tell when a band is chasing the trend or chasing the dollar, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't think there's any illusion that that's what you guys do at all. Like it's 
yeah, obviously you guys keep up with the trends in the sense of like the sound evolves and things like that. But right. it's not if we write this song in this way, it's going to get on the radio or whatever. Mm -hmm. like, it's still very much a this is who we are. Please accept us as we are. Otherwise, kind of go away because we don't necessarily need you. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we have to live with our own albums, you know, and I have to live with the things I say in our songs. And uh, that's just, you know, yeah, it's even if Spotify has gone in the next 30 years, like, our, you know, we'll still have our music and I want to be able to look back on that and go, yeah, I, we handled that opportunity with integrity because, I mean, I know myself, I, you know, we, we know us and we can't fool us. We may be able to fool people in the moment, but I don't want to look back at anything and just feel like I phoned it in or that was for X reason, not yeah. for like a real reason. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, especially with, again, we don't have to get into politics on it, but the cancel culture that exists today, like, you know, not that you guys are doing anything controversial like that, but like mm -hmm. all it takes is one minor slip up well, fuck them because of this. And it's like, but they're human. Like, you're not giving them any grace whatsoever. Like, yeah, there, there's a fine. Some absolutely can fuck off because they've done terrible things. Yeah. If you dig up a tweet from a comedian from 15 years ago and you're going to rake him over the coals about it, like that shit was acceptable back then. Like, why is it an issue now? You know, um, and I think, you know, to your point, like you have to live with yourself at the end of the day. Right. So yeah, I'm going to put out things that are honest and true to me because in, you know, like you said, 30, we're, we're getting old. So 30 years is a realistic timeline for us, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, in 30 years when we're laid up in a old person's home or whatever, like, cool, I can still look back on my shit and say, I'm proud of what I did. Right. Definitely. Um, so as we get back to live music and, and things like that, you know, the world seems to start opening up other than all that shit happening over in Russia and Ukraine right now. Uh, yeah, awful, awful. <laughs> it, it's yeah. insanely terrible. And obviously we won't get into the politics on that, but you know, it's, it's mind blowing the world that we live in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but tying back into music and using that as an escape as live music comes back, what's uh, 2022 looking like for you guys? I mean, obviously you're starting to plan some tours and things like that. If you're not allowed to announce them yet, that's totally fine. Just don't announce them. But what's uh, what's your vision for 2022? Yeah, um, we yeah, we're going to get out there and play some shows. We uh, yeah, it's just not ready. It's not ready to share with everybody yet, um, but we're we're excited. We're excited for that opportunity, excited to still be able to do that um, um, for a lot of reasons. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And I know a lot of our fans are looking forward to because uh, we haven't we haven't done anything since lockdown. Um, you know, I know other bands have gotten out there, but yeah, it's just it hasn't worked out for us yet. So we're excited to that's that's in every every social media post. When are you? Yeah. When are you guys going on tour, you know, just yeah. be patient. <laughs> but and I, I think, unfortunately, the world that we live in, patience uh, kind of goes out the window, right? You know, it's all yeah. about that instant gratification and they want everything now. 
Um, but no, I, I mean, I get it. And like, again, for people that aren't in the industry, tour planning is a pain in the ass and there is so much that goes into that. Yeah, I know. It's a lot of respect for, for booking agents, you know, coordinating all that stuff. It is really hard. Um, I mean, honestly, just yeah, anytime people are upset, like you don't come to a certain town, it's like, do you know all the thought that went into and all of the factors, all the things that have to align just for us to have gotten where we got, you know? Right. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, so yeah, nothing's ever good enough in this day and age. You, you know, we didn't play some obscure town or, you know, we usually, we usually, it's usually the same people that are just like, when are you going to play Houston last night? That's when we were going to do it last yeah. night. You missed it. <laughs> well, and then, and then the thing that kills me, I've seen this as well, being on my side of stuff where people are like, when are you, you know, when are you coming to Indianapolis? And then you come to Indianapolis and they don't even fucking show up. And it's like, well, no. you begged for us to come. And yeah. then we only had 25% of cap. Like what the yeah. fuck is everybody begging for? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, part of it, I, I blame the algorithms, you know, because right. we so many times fans are just like, yeah, I didn't even know you guys were on tour. It's just like we did two tours already. We came through a town twice, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I, I blame I blame uh, Zuckerberg for that. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably fair. You know, like <laughs> it seems like especially with Instagram, every time anybody starts to figure out that algorithm, it's like, OK, we're not changing it. And then the next day, everything's fucked up and you can't figure out how to get back on anybody. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's the world we live in. Yeah, it's it's a piece of shit sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's say um, perfect world. And again, you don't have to use real bands that you're getting ready to tour with. Uh, perfect world. What would a, an ideal lineup for you guys look like going out on tour? Dang. That's really hard. Um, well, yeah, because you guys fit in with, like, because of the diversity of your own music, like, you could play with so many different genres, different artists, whatever. Would it would it have to be a tour that would make sense? No. No, do whatever <laughs> would make you happy in a perfect world. <laughs> yeah, in a perfect world. Man. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. The first thing I thought of was, like, in a perfect world, I'd be a guitar tech for <laughs> some, <laughs> not even be, not even play. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I guess so, that's yeah. fair. Guitar teching for, like, James Hetfield or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it would just, yeah, I, I mean, that way I, I, I would know I'd get to hang out with the bands. But, yeah, so I guess in a perfect world, yeah, we open up, we play. In a perfect world, we play for two minutes. Um so that the other bands can play longer uh and so i would say and in no particular order but i would say uh thrice deftones manchester orchestra jimmy world alexis on fire gosh this is a festival now yeah yeah <laughs> Hey, we yeah, have the, when we were young festival now, so we might as well do another. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, gosh, it's, as cities burn, uh, and yeah, I mean, there's so many bands, but those are those are the ones that come to the top of my mind. And bring me, bring me, would be so sick. Yeah, yeah, I think JT mentioned um, 
too. So again, small fucking world. Like these obscure references are getting brought into everything I'm doing today. Um, but no, like I think obviously we don't have to really route planet, but the thing with what you just said is like, if you look at those bands and their demographics and all that, like you could easily do like an East coast tour with part of them, a West coast tour with the other half and then hop overseas and hit bring me the horizon. Like yeah, you just planned a world tour without even Got really it. trying. <laughs> Got it done. Yeah. So let's hook it up guys. Booking <laughs> agent, figure that out. Yeah. We'll see you there. I'll, uh, I'll be the guitar tech. I'll be the the runner. That's why we'll only play for two. We'll play. We'll play for. We'll play for ten minutes while people are walking in, right. and then and then yeah, I'll, we'll just tech the rest of the time. Because you know what? I guarantee you, the the guys in our band, Abishai would love to drum tech for any of those drummers. You know, Joey Joey would be changing out pickups for whoever wanted for free. You know. Uh, ben and I would just be carrying everybody's heavy equipment and just having smiling ear to ear. So yeah, um, just pull the old uh, the old warp tour, right? Like you guys play the line <laughs> while everybody's waiting, then go in and tech for everybody else. Right? Yeah, that'd be so sick. Yeah, awesome, man. Um, I think that's everything I've got. Like I said, this is gonna go up just a couple days before the album drops, but. Um, hit them with the social medias and everything. Where can they find you guys? Kind of, you know, keep tabs on you so that they don't miss the tours that we're going to announce soon, and uh, they don't have to bitch that they never, you never came to my town. Yeah, you didn't look at what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say, yeah, the ones we're we're most active on are Instagram. You know, just that Wolves of the Gate, Twitter at Wolves of the Gate, Facebook dot com backslash Wolves of the Gate. Go to those places and you'll find everything you need. You know, we've got a merch store online uh, via Solid State. So go check that out. We've got a bunch of pre-orders and cool merchandise. Um, and then, uh, which probably a lot of it's going to be exclusive to the pre-orders. And we'll have different stuff on tour. So if you're liking it, that's where to get it. Awesome. And I always say, <laughs> because of the Spotify thing we mentioned earlier, buy fucking merch. Like, yeah. <laughs> Streaming the song is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get a paycheck, quote unquote, at some point from it. But I'd much rather have the $8 profit off the t shirt broken out five ways versus the one, what is it, one one thousandth of a penny per stream or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's low. So you, you'd have to play one of our songs, you know, in the hundreds of times to, to uh, consist of one payment like a like an eight dollar record you know yeah. so um if people if you realize that time is money and the amount of time you would have to spend streaming that just to buy a record you know maybe save yourself some time and help <laughs> us out and buy the record <laughs> yeah it's uh and that's the thing is whether people want to agree or not i think physical media is still where things need to live um mm -hmm. because I can't take my Spotify streams to the show and have you sign it, but I can take the <laughs> vinyl to the show yeah. and pick it up at the show and get it signed, yeah. you know, and that's, that's where all the cool shit happens. Yeah, it is. It is crazy that what seemed to be the most archaic form of a physical copy because of how big it is and how fragile it is and how you can't listen to it while you're in transit, you know, is now the primary physical resource. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, especially i haven't seen you guys as i need to go over and look but like 
there's so many variants now too. Yeah. Like, it's not just a black record anymore. It's no all sorts of cool splatters and all sorts of shit. Yeah, it's real really cool stuff. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Um like I said, this is going. This is like the fifth time I've said it. I guess this is going up on the ninth. The album drops on the eleventh. Uh, we'll have links to all your your socials, the website, all that. Um, and then I'm looking forward to tours. So uh, I do concert photography. So hopefully you'll be within like a three hour radius. That's the other thing, people. Fucking travel for a show if it's a band you like. <laughs> quit worrying about it being ten minutes down the road. Like yeah, fucking drive and go see your favorite bands. But. <laughs> I've had to hold my tongue so many times when people are like, they'll come up and be like, yeah, we drove two hours to get here. I'm like, well, we drove seven. So <laughs> we were in whatever city before, you know, so it's like, yeah, but obviously, obviously like uh, it's a joke. I, I wouldn't say it to anybody, but the reality is, is we have most likely driven much further than you have to get to the show. Well, and like, I, I mean, you're right. It, it is a joke to some extent, but like at the same time, I'll, I'll be the one that, to be controversial because I'm not the one making money off of it. Uh, so, like, where I live, it's an hour to Indy or three and a half to Chicago. And even mm -hmm. if you're playing at both of them, if I like the venue in Chicago better, or maybe you switch out, you know, who's on, on tour with yeah. you at that point for support, like, I'm going to go to the longer show yeah. simply because I like that experience. And that's yep. where it really matters. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I, I'm, I'm the same way, you know, if I, cause I, you know, so I grew up in North Jersey, so I could go to Sayreville, I could go to Philly or I could go to the shows in New York, you know, and you know how many venues there are in New York. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, I don't want to go to the, the Bowery, you know, um, I want to see it at Irving Plaza, you know, and, and so if it's not going to be there, then I'll go to the Starland, you know? So it's, I, I was the same way. I, I get it. Cause you're going to be there and watch your favorite band and they're going to play for an hour probably. And it's going to be an experience. So you want to enjoy the whole experience and not be at some shop venue, you know, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. Well, like I said, I appreciate your time. Um, we'll get this up just before the release and hopefully, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about what's going on way over in in russia and shit and yeah hopefully that resolves because that's that's pretty uh pretty pretty rough what's going on yeah for sure and then you know obviously we want covid to finally go away uh so yeah. <laughs> we'll play it by ear i guess but uh no pun intended with this being a music podcast but um <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh we'll figure it out for sure and i think life's finally getting back to normal and this album i think like i said is front to back is something for people to listen to and i think there's a lot of stuff that people are going to relate to after two years of lockdown cool that's awesome thanks man man again i appreciate it and uh we'll talk soon okay all right sounds good see you josh thanks man and that was my conversation with steve Hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope you take away um, just a little insight, you know, from that artist's perspective. I have been doing this a very, very, very long time now um, in the music journalism sense, uh, you know, doing interviews and things like that. Even the podcast is, you know, we're 100 and, 109 episodes deep. It's 
been a, a long adventure for this already. Um, you know, really only took off a little bit of time uh, when I was unconscious uh, fighting my COVID battle um, last year and then just a little bit of time around the holidays this year for some mental health and some family stuff. But, you know, I think the the point being that the perspective that I try to bring you guys from these artists is one that is honest and authentic and, you know, doesn't come across in a way that's gatekeeping or anything like that. In fact, it's quite the opposite, trying to tear down those gates and, and break down those gatekeepers. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, the point being with this album, after two years of lockdown and um, not being able to to have the outlet of music in the same sense that we're used to or that we probably took for granted, um, there's so much cool shit happening, and this album is one of them. Uh, so huge shout out to to Steve, the guys in Wolves at the Gate. Um, really looking forward to this really looking forward to their uh tour dates and things like that as they get get a little closer and you know uh get everything kind of ironed out on some stuff and hopefully we'll be out at a show because you know i think this is that release that we all need and you know especially for fans of multiple genres like myself um metal shows and pop punk shows are probably my two favorite shows to be at because you can truly just release all your fucking cares and just have a good fucking time. Um, so head over, make sure you like, share, follow, all that. Wolves at the Gate, uh, their social medias will be listed in the description of the podcast uh, as well. Be sure this Friday, March the 11th, to jump over and listen to their new album, Eulogies. It's going to be anywhere you stream music. You can pick up the physical copies on their website, um, through their you know merch store and all that. And yeah, it, it's time for us to start that kind of fresh and new uh, age of music, I guess, is what I want to call it. You know, we're, we're in this new awakening, hopefully, of uh, breaking down these barriers and not being confined to just being a metal fan or just being a pop-punk fan or whatever. Like, live music is, is on its way back and starting to make some really big strides. So be sure you get out support your favorite artists um and you know that's the only way that some of these guys survive and it's the only way that we continue to get new music is through the support of fans um kind of funding but also fueling the passion and allowing these artists to create for now though um that's everything I've got for you. Be sure for the podcast, you make the scene, um, that you like, subscribe, follow, share, 
give us a rating, all that fun stuff. Um, let us know what you think. Let us know what artists that you're looking forward to or that you would like us to have on. Um, and we'll do our best to, to do what we can on that. Um, but yeah, for now, guys, that's everything. So remember, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene.